Good morning, everyone. So glad that we can join together on this Pentecost Sunday as we continue our study of the book of Galatians. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 5 and focusing our attention on verses 7 through 12 in the book of Galatians. So I invite you to turn there now. Now, as we have studied the book of Galatians, we have seen that Paul is seeking to protect the Christians of Galatia from false teaching concerning this need to be circumcised. Yet the issue is much larger than just a mere act of outward circumcision. The true issue is the propagation of a false gospel that mixes faith in Christ with works of the law as a means of coming into the family of God. This sermon series is called No Other Gospel because the letter to the Galatians is aimed at protecting and preserving the one true gospel of Jesus Christ from the intrusion of falsehood. As we have seen, the application of Paul's letter goes much further than merely this question of circumcision. But it applies to all the temptations that we have in our own lives towards legalism. All our attempts to be made right with God according to our own outward righteousness. In our passage for today, the Word of God is protecting us from being hindered from following anything but the one true Gospel. Now, it seems as you read through the letters of Paul, that Paul was a bit of a sports fan. Throughout his letters, he often uses imagery from the world of athletics. He mentions the ancient games of boxing, wrestling, and running. And in verse 7 of your text, if you're there yet, you see he comes to us with another sports metaphor. He says in verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Again, Paul employs this sports metaphor to speak of the reality of the Christian life. The Christian life is like running a race. There's a goal. It takes continual effort to keep going forward. It takes day in and day out perseverance to go forward. And Paul comments that the Galatians were running this race well. They had been following Christ. They've been growing in their faith. They've been sharing their faith with others. They had received the Spirit, were living in the freedom which Christ had won for them. However, someone came in and hindered them. They got in their way. They knocked them off of course. That word translated hindered in verse 7 is taken from the realm of athletics. The image that Paul has in mind is that of a runner impeding the path of his competitor. To hinder means to cut in front of an opponent or to knock them off track. In the Greek culture, the race would not have been run around a track like we are used to, but rather the course would have involved a down and back race and a turning around point. And often at this turning around point, competitors would jockey for position and they would hinder those who were in the lead of the race to try to gain an advantage, to try to knock them off course. And Paul takes this image and he applies it to the Christian walk of of the Galatians. You see, they were following Christ well. But these false teachers have come in 
and they have knocked them off course. We're all familiar with times in our own lives when we've been knocked off course. We felt as though we were running well, we were following after Christ well, but something has come in and hindered us in our walk with Christ. Maybe it was a broken relationship. Maybe it was a bout of poor health or an unforeseen temptation that came into your life. We were running well, but something or someone came in and knocked us off of our course. So how are we to avoid such hindrances and continue to run well? How can we avoid being tripped up by the temptations and struggles of this world and continue to follow after Christ? What I want us to see in our text is that there is laid out for us six ways that we can avoid being knocked off course and run the race set before us unhindered. And ultimately, we will see that by God's grace alone, all of those who place their faith in Jesus Christ will have all that they need to run unhindered. So hear now the word of the Lord, Galatians 5, verses 7 through 12. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you this morning. On this Pentecost day, and we call out to you. And ask, O Lord, that You would send forth Your Spirit upon us. That Your Word might be proclaimed with boldness. And that Your people would be empowered by Your Spirit to run the race that has been set before them. Though there are many obstacles and hindrances that have been placed in our way, O would You empower us and guide us by Your Word that we might arrive home safely. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. If you don't know the name Eliud Kipchuga, you should. He is the first man to run a marathon, that is 26.2 miles, in under two hours. On October 12, 2019, Kipchuga accomplished what many believe could never happen. Now, to put this accomplishment in perspective, he had to average a four-minute, 34-second mile pace the entire time. I don't believe I could run that fast for 30 seconds 
or even 10 seconds. And he ran it for over 26 miles. Many believe that a sub-two-hour marathon was impossible. In 2003, the current world record holder for the marathon, a man named Paul Target, said, I believe records are set to be broken and to fall lower if possible. But what but what remains impossible is running a marathon under two hours. People in the running world have compared this monumental achievement to Roger Bannister's four-minute mile or even to landing a man on the moon. So how was this accomplished? Well, Kipchoge is a generational athlete. He is an Olympian, a world record holder. He has trained his whole life for distance running. He has been able to avoid injury. Physically, he is unique. He is special to say the least. Not anyone could run a sub-two-hour marathon. But to break this two-hour barrier, eliminating the smallest of hindrances may have been what made all the difference. Creating the perfect environment in which to accomplish this task, a team was put together to ensure that there was nothing that would get in his way of running a sub-two-hour marathon. First, a course was picked that ran along the Danube River in Vienna, Austria. This provided a long, flat course that would have ideal weather. It was also at the right elevation so that there was enough oxygen for him as he ran. A pace car ran in front of him and projected a green laser beam in front of Kipchuga to keep him running at the correct pace the entire time. Fellow world-class athletes ran alongside and in front of Kipchuga to create a windbreak so that he was not hindered from any wind resistance. A man rode alongside him on a bike with a high-carbohydrate sports drink so that he could grab this drink whenever he needed to, not having to go off course to grab it off of a table. Even his clothes were made of a special aerodynamic material that they estimated gave him, and this is amazing to me, a one-second advantage over the entire course. Nothing was left to chance. Every hindrance was removed so that when he crossed the finish line, the clock read one hour, 59 minutes, and 40 seconds. In our passage for this morning, the Apostle Paul uses this running metaphor to speak of what it means to follow after Christ, to live faithfully before Him. And he wants to know who has disrupted their race. Look again at verse 7. Paul says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? As you see here, obeying the truth is in parallel to running well. And so Paul wants to ask them, who has hindered you? Who has gotten in the way of your obedience to the truth? Now, what does this mean? Well, as we see in the context, obedience to the truth is living out one's faith in Jesus Christ. 
That means living each day in the freedom that Christ has won for us in His life, death, and resurrection. To obey the truth means to grow in holiness through the power and the work of the Spirit that bears the fruits of righteousness in our lives. Obeying the truth means growing in likeness to Christ. Is what every Christian life is meant to be. Living out the Gospel. Running well. However, on this race, there are hindrances. There are obstacles that we must seek to eliminate. And in response to the false teachers hindering the Galatians, Paul gives encouragement not to allow such hindrances to knock them off track. And from this encouragement, we can see six different ways that we too are called to run unhindered. Now, the first thing that I see Paul telling the Galatians is that they cannot blame God for their detour down legalism lane. Look at verse 8. There Paul says, this persuasion, okay, this, this, this idea that you need to be circumcised to be right with God, this, this foyer into legalism is not from Him who calls you. We know that when Paul says him who calls you, he's referring to the gracious God himself. For in chapter one, Paul makes this connection twice. In chapter one, verse six, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. And later in chapter one, in verse 15, he's talking about himself um, in relation to God's grace. He says that God called me. By His grace. I think that we can all understand the argument that the false teachers may have put forward, right? God clearly in Scripture commanded the sons of Abraham to receive circumcision. And therefore, God is calling anyone who desires to be in a right relationship with Him to also receive this sign. Now, over the last several months, we have seen Paul dismantle this whole idea Paul says, no, you are mixing the law with the gospel. God has called the Galatians in grace, not by works. And so he is saying here, don't put your legalism on God's shoulders. Don't blame God for this. Yet we all fall into this trap as well. We assume that we are fulfilling God's desire for our holiness of life by relying upon the law to be accepted by Him. We believe that to come to Him, we must first cleanse ourselves. But God has not called us to be cleansed prior to coming to Him. Rather, He calls us to come to Him full of our sin and our filth so that He might cleanse us. He calls sinners and not saints to Himself. And I know that there are many who hesitate in coming to Christ because you do not feel worthy to come before God. You can see your sin. You feel that you must present yourself clean before you can come into the throne room of God. Or maybe to put it to you in more concrete terms, you feel like you need to get your life together before you can be a part of the body of Christ. How could God accept me, a wicked sinner that I am? 
But you see, you are putting the blame for your hindrance in coming to God on God. You are blaming God. For God calls us by His grace. He makes a gracious offer. Come, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As the hem, the rock of ages explains, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. This is an obstacle that we have erected ourselves, believing that God would demand holiness from us before He would accept us into His family. No. This is not from God. This is not from the Lord who calls you by His grace. So do not be hindered by the thought that God does not accept sinners, but run to our Savior And He will wash you clean. Don't blame God for your legalism. He doesn't want it. And the next thing that I see in our text is that if we are to run unhindered, we must avoid even the smallest leaven of sin. Look down at verse 9. Paul says, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, leaven is the agent that we put into bread that makes it rise. And throughout God's word, this is associated with the effects of sin, not because it's wrong to use leaven in our bread making, but rather it's a metaphor for how sin can affect your life. You see, just as adding a small touch of leaven affects the whole lump of dough, so too does adding a small touch of sin affect the whole of our lives. And Paul is arguing that if the Galatians submit to this small act of circumcision, their legalism won't stop there. But rather, it will spread throughout the whole church and all that they do. They will begin to adopt more and more symbols of holiness and become less and less concerned with bearing the fruits of righteousness. They will become more intent on keeping the dietary laws than sharing the gospel. They will be more focused on keeping the religious festivals than on feeding the poor. They will be more concerned about faithfulness to the legal code than faith in Jesus Christ. Just a little bit of leaven will affect the whole lump of dough. And we need to take this warning very seriously as well. For just a small touch of legalism will turn us into Pharisees. Just as the smallest amount of license will lead to corruption. Like our marathon friend Kipchuga knew, even the imperceptible wind resistance could keep him from his goal. We need to understand that even the smallest amount of submission to legalism in our lives, believing that we are accepted by God because of our works, won't just stop at just one outward act of outward righteousness by which we think we will be accepted, but it will come into all areas of our lives, like leaven affecting the whole lump. It will affect all that we do in all the ways that we live. We might find it exciting or easy or gratifying to give in to this temptation, but Paul says no. 
As the book of Hebrews chapter 12 says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Are you struggling with feeling a vitality and a closeness to God? Are you hindered in obeying the truth of the Gospel? Even just a small amount of sin will leaven the whole lump. So don't give in to it. Avoid it. One of the things that, as a parent that sends their kids to school, I am so aware of, is how those with a peanut allergy have to avoid anything with peanuts in it, right? Like, even if a sandwich had looked at a peanut, they can't have it around them. And so their parents and the teachers and the whole community comes around so that that child will not come in contact with what they are allergic to because it can seriously injure or even kill them. And what Paul is saying is act like sin is a peanut and you're allergic to peanuts. Get it out of your life because it will hinder you from running this race. Sin is a weight in this race. So lay it aside. Avoid the leaven of sin. Now, having six points in a sermon, you might think that this is a bit of a marathon itself. But don't worry, I'll get you out of here in under two hours. All right. All right. So third, if you would run unhindered, the word of God tells us that we must trust God's work. Look down at the first half of verse 10. Paul says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. Now here in verse 10, Paul expresses his confidence that the Galatians will not ultimately be entangled by this hindrance of legalism, but rather they will continue to trust in Christ alone for their salvation. And if you would be unhindered, you need to trust That what God has begun in you, He will be the one who brings it to completion. The Lord has not called you in His grace only to abandon you into your sin. For before the foundation of the world, the Lord has chosen you in Christ. He has predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son. He has saved you by His grace. And He has recreated you to walk in good works which He prepared beforehand. You see, you need to trust in the continuing work of God in your life to keep you on this path. You need to have a sense of destiny that you are not merely following Christ by chance or by mistake, but you are in Christ according to God's eternal design with an eternal future before you. Now, I'm personally not much of a runner. I like to go out and jog every once in a while. And in those experiences of running, I know the mental work that it takes to keep going forward. And it helps if I know by past experience that I can finish the race. So if I've set out and I'm going to run four miles, I think, I know I can finish this race. I know I can run it. And so even when things get hard, I can continue to push and I can finish the race because I know it is possible. But if you set out before me 26 miles, I might not even make it four. 
because I'm going to be so discouraged by the fact that I don't think that I'm going to finish this race that it's not even worth running it. But we need to understand that in Christ, by the power of the Spirit poured out upon the church at Pentecost, the race that has been set before you is hard. It is difficult. It is actually impossible for us to run on our own. But we have confidence in the Lord that He is at work within us. And what He has begun with the work of Christ within you, He will bring to completion. So run with endurance. Continue unhindered. Have confidence in God. For you will finish this race that has been set before you. Next. We see in our text that we must remember the end of the race if we are to run unhindered. Look at the second half of verse 10. Paul says, The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Now here Paul is calling out the ringleader of these uh, legalists who are coming in and, and preaching this false doctrine. And Paul is encouraging the Galatians that whoever is leading this intrusion of false teaching in the church will face judgment one day. When the Lord returns and judges the living and the dead, those who are insisting on circumcision will be revealed as false teachers. They will bear the penalty for leading the flock astray. Now, it's rather hard to run a race or play a game when you know that someone is cheating. If you're running a cross-country race and you see your competitor cutting through the woods, it makes you want to give up. Or even worse, when they are actively trying to misguide or misdirect you or get in your way, hinder you, trip you up. Who hasn't wanted to quit some competition because you felt that it was not fair because of the way others were competing? In the 1904 Olympic Marathon in St. Louis, there was some cheating going on. It has been described as the most difficult course a human has ever been asked to run. It was hilly. It was hot. It was humid. Nine miles into the competition, Fred Lors decided that he couldn't keep going. He needed a rest. And so he hopped into a car of a friend And he rode for the next 11 miles. He proceeded to hop back out of the car and finish the race on his own feet and cross the finish line as the gold medalist. Now, it was quickly discovered that he had been cheating. He was stripped of his medal and it was given to Thomas Hicks, who finished the marathon in a time of three hours and 28 minutes. We've come a long way, haven't we? But wouldn't it be so difficult To have this race set before you, hot, humid, hilly, all the worst conditions that you could think of, and your competitor is riding in a car. Why finish? Why go forward? Why continue? What the Word of God is saying is that there will be a day of judgment for those who seek to knock you off course, those who seek to hinder you. There will be a day when their evil behavior is exposed and those who endured in Christ will be given their just reward. When people tempt you to sin, remember that a day is coming when the race will be over and those who have cheated will bear their penalty and those who endure will receive their just reward in Christ. 
All right, the fifth point is the flip side of what we just covered. You must know the end, that there will be judgment for those who seek to hinder God's people. And now you must endure persecution along the way as you follow Christ. Look at verse 11. There Paul says this. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Now, it's unclear why anyone would believe that Paul was preaching circumcision. Were the false teachers saying that Paul taught the necessity of circumcision, but neglected to tell the Gentile Galatians, right? Were they insinuating that Paul really believed that circumcision was necessary, but he didn't want to offend the Galatians. He wanted to build himself a nice big congregation and remove anything that might be hard for them to believe. So he just left out the circumcision thing. Again, we don't know why Paul would have been accused of such a thing as preaching circumcision. However, it is clear that he did not preach circumcision. And his persecution is what he lifts up as defense evidence number one. If he would have been preaching circumcision, why has he endured such hardships? Because if you allow for circumcision, if you allow for legalism, then the gospel is no longer offensive. It's just one more choice in the many varieties of religious legalism that's out in the world. You see, the most offensive aspect of the gospel is that it insists that man is not able to save himself. It insists that there is no work, there is no ritual that we can perform to wash away the stain of our sin. We cannot make ourselves acceptable to God. And the world is not willing to accept that reality. Because when you preach the cross, when you preach Christ and Him crucified, you are telling the world, this is what you deserve. Your sin deserves the punishment of death. And believe it or not, people don't like to hear that. They don't want to be told that they are sinners and that their sin has given them the just penalty of death. They want you to tell them that they are good That they will be accepted by God. That all they need to do is fill out some paperwork and perform some rituals. And that God will accept them because they are good enough. But the gospel says that no one is righteous. No, not one. That by our sin we all deserve the cross. But that Jesus went to the cross for us. That He died for us. That whosoever believes in Him will be saved. And if you believe this and proclaim this, then you will be persecuted. This will look different in different times and different places. This persecution will. But if you preach nothing but Christ and him crucified, you will meet opposition from without and from within the church. Because people want you to preach Christ and works. People want you to preach Christ and politics. People want you to preach Christ and social change. But we preach Christ and him crucified and nothing else. To endure without hindrance, we have to be willing to face the persecution that comes when we are unwilling to add anything to the gospel. But the Christ, but the cross alone, for this is the only way that we will finish the race is through Christ and Him crucified. And the final thing I want us to see in our text for this morning 
is that if we would run unhindered, we must have a bit of boldness. Look down at verse 12 of our text. There Paul says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. These are bold words. Blushingly harsh. Paul is saying that he wishes those who have hindered the Galatians concerning circumcision would slip up with the knife and go the whole way in their amputation. I'm not sure how to say that any clearer in mixed company. Now, in our era of political correctness, safe spaces and hypersensitivity, we're not sure what to do with such a proclamation in the word of God. But what I would say is that we should read these words and be reminded of the boldness that we must have to run this race unhindered. We need not be unkind or harsh, but when it comes to the gospel and to those who would seek to hinder the advance of the gospel, we must be willing to walk with a little swagger and talk with a lot of boldness. Because we have the truth. We have Christ. And the world does not like such objective and definitive statements of truth. But Jesus is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if every time you hit a little bit of opposition in this life, you crumple to the floor, you will not be able to run this race that has been set before you. You will have to take a few shots to the chin and boldly go forward in Christ. If you're going to share your faith in this world, you're going to have to have some boldness. If you're going to take a stand for holiness, you're going to have a going to have to have some boldness in your life. If you're going to live out Christ in your school, you are going to have to be bold. Or if you're going to live out Christ in your workplace or in your family or in the political sphere, you're going to have to have some grit. You're going to have to have some endurance. You're going to have to be willing to go forward with boldness into this world. And Christian, you have the truth. You have Christ. I think that maybe the highest form of legalism and outward righteousness in this world is to proclaim not that there is truth, but I'm just living out my truth. And we cannot judge other people's truths. And so we have all sorts of symbols of our outward righteousness signaling to the world that we accept everyone else's truths. Christian, this is not the truth of the gospel. And you're going to have to be bold to proclaim the truth and to run unhindered. At the end of his life, Paul wrote to his young apprentice these famous words. The time has come of my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The Christian life is a fight. It's a race. And there are competitors who are seeking to hinder you from following after Christ. To knock you off course. There are forces at play that are seeking to impede your way. But through Christ, you have been given the victory. For what He has begun in you, He will bring to completion. So don't blame God 
for your temptation towards legalism. He doesn't want your legalism. Avoid the leaven of sin because it will corrupt not just a small bit, but the whole lump. Trust in God's work, for He will bring it to completion. Know the end, for there will be a day of judgment. Endure persecution and be bold. And in Christ, know that we are more than conquerors. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you on this Pentecost Sunday. And we are reminded of the boldness which the apostles proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and the opposition that they met from those who were in places of power. And yet they continued to proclaim Christ. Would we walk so faithfully, not by our power, but by the power of the spirit within us? For the glory of your great name, Lord Jesus. Amen.